0: It is a pleasure to be here with you guys this morning. Um, thank you for my introduction. My name is Caroline St. John, and I need to tell you a little bit about how I got here this morning. I have known Jonathan Anderson since he was born. Um, literally, we grew up together at the same church. Uh, I'm a good bit older than him, and we grew up at Salem Camp Meeting together. So Jonathan was the little kid running around Salem that we wanted to hold all the time. You know, that, the kid that was just happy all the time and precious, and we all thought he was our baby doll, right? And so I think there was a few years, maybe the first three years of Jonathan's life, that he didn't walk at Salem camp meeting because there was one of us holding him literally. If he was awake, we were carrying our baby doll that we call Jonathan. And so it's been my pleasure to watch... Jonathan Gro, um, I knew, like so many others, that there was something really special in store for his future, and God would do amazing things with his life. And it is such a blessing to see here today um, that when he was a little baby that we were carrying around, God already knew that this would be his um, his church family in 2019. So. Uh, it, it's just beautiful to see all that God has in store, and I don't know who the beautiful little girl was who was dancing and worshiping right here in front. She melted my heart, and um, it made me think, you know, Jonathan was that little kid, and, and look where God has brought him, and there's little ones here today in this church that we don't know what he has in store. So it's just really exciting to see um, life sort of come full circle as, as a And blessed enough to be here this morning. On the screen here is my life verse. So I want to read it to you. Joshua 1.9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Now this verse has been a part of my life for a long time. When I was a little girl, probably six, my grandmother gave me a cross-stitched picture of this verse for Christmas one year. She took all of our names for my dad, my mom, my brother, and myself, and, and she cross-stitched our name and a little picture, and then what our name meant, and then a verse that went with, with our name. I don't know where she found, where she found these patterns, but all of us had a picture. And my mom hung them up in our bedrooms. And so Mine said Caroline in pink, and then there was little green flowers and a little girl who was dancing, and it said, strong and womanly, and then it said, Joshua one night, be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go, and that verse hung in my bedroom until I went off to college, and it stayed, it stayed there, (laughs) Um, I went to Asbury University, and after college, I moved to Los Angeles to teach school. It still hung in my childhood bedroom. And when I, after teaching in L.A. for a few years, I moved back to Georgia, and I had my first apartment that was just mine. And um, I took that little verse, and I hung it, and that, that little picture has just gone with me wherever I have lived as a reminder of that verse and my grandmother and all those things. When I look at that verse, there are two words that, that drive it. Strength and courage. God told Joshua to be strong and to be courageous. So I have to stop for a moment and, and ask, what do those two words mean? I'm an English teacher. I can't help it. Um, but to me, they've, they've always seemed interchangeable, like synonyms. But if they meant the same thing, God wouldn't have said the same thing twice, so there has to be a a difference in the two words. So when I looked up the definitions for strong and courageous, strength and courage, I found that they are two distinctly different meanings. Strength means having the ability to be able to bear a burden, The ability to hold something heavy, the ability to withstand under great pressure. So strength is is a force that our body gives or our spirit gives against a heavy weight. And then courage. What what does it mean to be courageous? Courage is is not a physical thing. Courage is a mental or a spiritual ability. And to be courageous means to have the mental or the moral ability to venture out, to persevere, to withstand danger, fear, or difficulty. So when we look at the definition of strength, and we look at the definition of courage, strength, the ability to hold up under a pressure, and courage, the ability to move out into danger. I realize that you cannot have strength or courage without an outside oppositional force. If you want to become stronger and you're going to go to the gym and lift weights, if you just said and did this with no weight, nothing to work against, your strength will never increase. Without a burden, we will not become stronger. And courage means that we move out and we move forward, we venture out, even when it's dangerous, even when we have fear, and even when we have difficulty. You are not courageous when the, the water is peaceful. You're just enjoying a nice, calm day. <laughs> courage only happens when the danger arrives. So strength and courage come when difficulty and dangers arise. When I was a little girl looking at that picture and thinking about being strong and courageous, I thought about just being awesome, right? If I'm strong and courageous, that just means I'm awesome. I never thought that a challenge had to be present for me to be strong. I never thought that danger had to be present for me to be courageous. And this verse was God giving me a word decades before I knew that I would need it. This verse comes from the book of Joshua. And if you know anything about Joshua, you know that God required great strength and courage from him. Joshua was the the right-hand man, the assistant to Moses. And we know that God called forth Moses to lead the people out of slavery and to lead them into the promised land. And then there was this trick ending there, right? A little curveball happened right before the story ended. Moses died. They all thought that Moses would be the one to lead the people into the promised land. But Moses died. In fact, when the book of Joshua opens... It starts with, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, and the first bit of dialogue where we quote word for word what God said, the first conversation God had in the book of Joshua, this is what God said to Joshua, Moses, my servant is dead. That's not how Joshua thought this was going to work. Moses was supposed to be the one to lead him, lead the people into the promised land. Joshua was just there to help him out, but the story changed. This struggle happened that Joshua was not predicting. And God said to Joshua, therefore, now therefore, arise to Joshua. You go over to Jordan, you and all the people, to the land which I'm giving to them, to the children of Israel. So Joshua, he said, Joshua, you didn't, you may not have expected Moses to. Die, but he's dead. Now you're going to be the one to lead my people. He says, for every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses, from the wilderness and and this Lebanon as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites into the great sea towards the going down of the sun shall be your territory." No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and of good courage. For for to the people you shall divide as inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, that you may observe to do according to the law which Moses... My servant commanded you, do not turn to the right or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make um, your way prosperous and you will have good success. And here's verse 9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not... Uh, This one says, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So in that conversation, God told Joshua the ending. I have already promised you all all of this land. It's yours. That's the ending. It is yours. I've already given it to you. You have to, he said, wherever the sole of your foot treads, it's yours. But do you see the responsibility Joshua has? He has to go forth. (laughs) He has to walk for the sole of his foot to tread there. So God said, if you go forth, if you go into the promised land, it's yours. There's no trick. It's all you. Just go. What God required of Joshua was to be strong and to be courageous. Don't quit. If you won't quit, if you'll just get up and walk, it's yours. Now, that seems way too easy. When I think of strength and courage, I have the image of a boat in my mind. Strength is the part that keeps us floating, right? The actual boat itself. It's what holds us up. Courage is the oars that sail us. On that voyage, it's the part that moves us forward. Joshua had to have strength, and he had to have courage to move into that promised land. Now, my husband is an, an economics teacher. In my mind, I really can't think of anything more boring than majoring in economics in college. But he loves economics like I love books. I mean, he could talk about it all day. I don't get it. But I'm glad that he loves economics because I have no clue how it all works. So, my husband has a way of taking really complicated things and putting it into words that even I can understand about economics. And this is one one lesson that he taught me. He taught me a term called opportunity cost. And if we have any high school seniors in here that are in economics, you're welcome for this little lesson. Uh, This is what opportunity cost is. Opportunity cost is the price and the value for what you didn't pick. So it's the value of the opportunity that you miss. So if you have two choices and you pick A, the opportunity cost is the value of B. So let's say that you did your taxes and you were excited because you found out you were going to get $5,000 back. Wouldn't that be awesome? $5,000. So... You get your check for $5,000, and you're sitting here and you go, what am I going to do with $5,000? I could put it in the bank and save it. I could go to Disney. Here's two choices, okay? So what is the opportunity cost for putting my money in the bank and saving it? A week at Disney with my family, making amazing memories. So it's going to cost me an amazing trip to Disney if I save the money. If I choose to go to Disney with my family and go on a trip that costs $5,000, what is the opportunity cost? The opportunity cost is having a nest egg that increased by $5,000 in my savings account. If something terrible happens, that $5,000 will not be there. That's the cost. So the opportunity cost is what you lose by picking something else. Imagine you are a senior in high school, and you're getting ready. You're dreaming about going to prom, and two awesome guys ask you to prom. So you think, what do I do? You make a list of pros and cons, and you have to think about the opportunity cost. The opportunity cost of guy A is a date with guy B, right? It's what you give up. So when it comes to Joshua and God saying, I've given you the promised land, you have to step out and where the soles of your feet go, it's yours. You just have to be strong and courageous. What is Joshua's opportunity cost for choosing strength and courage? The opportunity cost of strength and courage is weakness and fear. I can choose strength and courage. I can choose weakness and fear. I do not get to determine the outcome. God is driving my path. I get to choose strength and courage Or I can choose weakness and fear. Sounds like a no-brainer, right? Who wants weakness and fear when you can have strength and courage? God's giving it to you. What you have to do is this. Take a step. In August of 2010, I was as busy as anyone you'll ever meet (laughs) I'm teaching school, you know how August is for teachers, it's blazing hot outside, and I was doing aerobics four or five days a week, because I've got everything going right, I'm checking everything off my list of things to do right. I got really tired, I got really, really tired, like so tired that when I walked in my house from my bedroom to my living room, I had to lay down in the hallway in between. When I got up to take a shower to get ready for work, I had to lay down in the shower. I was so tired. And I was thinking, it's just too hot in Georgia. I need to drink more water. That's the problem, right? Well, I kept getting more and more tired. After about a week, I went to the doctor and I had this dry cough, right? And I told the doctor, I've got this cough. I'm super tired. Like, I have more energy than one person should and I can't wake up. I can like hear my heart beating in my ears and it's so loud. It like wakes me up in the night. It's these really strange symptoms. And the doctor said, let me run some tests. Laps look normal on a Tuesday, but I felt so bad that I went back to the doctor on a Wednesday and a Thursday and a Friday and I'd been sick for only about a week and a half. But on that Friday, I was so sick that my mom told me I slept 23 of 24 hours. It's not normal. So on Saturday, it was opening day for Georgia. My dad, my brother, and my then-boyfriend, now-husband, were at the Georgia game. My mom said, you know what? Let's just go to Emory. And if we go to the emergency room at Emory, they'll figure out whatever's going on. And I literally said to her, well, I need to get my nails filled in before we go. So can I get a fill-in, and then we'll go to Emory? That's where I was. And she said, when we come back, This afternoon, we'll get your nails done then. So that's where my mom was. We stop at Chick-fil-A on the way. We go to Emory. And within 15 minutes of walking through the doors of the emergency room of Emory Hospital, they tell me I have leukemia. My mom says, you're lying. She doesn't have leukemia. But I knew in my body that what I was feeling was so not right, that that's exactly what it was. And I didn't leave Emory for a month. I didn't know to pack bags. I didn't know what was coming literally that very afternoon. So in a week and a half, I went from exercising four days a week and working way more than I should to dropping everything and making Emory my home. That was a Saturday. On Sunday, they did a... Bone marrow biopsy, and Sunday afternoon, they told me that I had acute lymphocytic leukemia, acute just meaning rapid onset. It comes on super fast. And so I sat there in that hospital room with my mom and my dad and my boyfriend, who is now my husband, and my doctor. His name, was Dr. Macle- His name is Dr. McLemore. He said, there's some things you need to know. He said, let's talk numbers. And I said, I don't want to talk numbers. I know that I'm going to be okay. And he said, I legally have to tell you numbers. So I said, okay. And I hmm, I hummed, so I couldn't hear. I didn't want to hear percentages because I knew I would be okay. But then he said, I need to tell you that this chemo you're going to take, it's the most intense chemo that anybody gets with cancer because it's got to kill your blood cells. And he said, that chemo, it, it's got a lot of side effects. And the number one side effect that I want you to know about now is 34 years old. The number one side effect is it's going to be tremendously, he said it three times, tremendously, tremendously difficult for you to ever have kids. And I said, I'm okay with that. I looked to my boyfriend, and I said, are you okay with this? Because this is your life too. We were talking about getting engaged. And he said, I'm okay with that because I knew I had an opportunity cost here. Chemo, no babies, no chemo, I wouldn't live. In fact, my, Dr. McLemore, I asked him, how long do I have if I wouldn't have come into the hospital today, if I would have just gotten the fill-in? And he said, you would have had seven to nine days. Chemo babies, or chemo, no babies, or no chemo, and I would die. What was my opportunity cost? It's a no-brainer. So the next day, they put it in the pick line, and on Tuesday, they started chemo. On Monday, my my boyfriend went to my house because I didn't pack any clothes, right? And I was going to be there for a month, so he just took out my pajama drawer, dumped it in his suitcase, and came back to Emory. I needed more than pajamas. Don't send your husband to pack for you if you have to be at the hospital for a month. Send your friend. Send your friend. Anyway... The nurse told Robert, when you go and pack for her, bring things from her house that will make it look like home, because it starts to mess with your head to be in this stale hospital room for that long. So Robert went and took things off the wall, (laughs) put it in my suitcase and came. It was the best move ever. We had gone to Paris, and there was a painting that I had bought outside of the Louvre, and it hung right in front of me. And beside it, there was this little picture that my grandmother had cross-stitched me when I was a little girl, and it said, be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be afraid, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And it hung literally when I opened my eyes, it was right there. The room was covered with pictures that of people that I loved, artwork that I loved, and letters from students all over the room. I was there for a month home for three weeks, back for a week for six months. I had to go through a lot that was really, really not fun. But my opportunity cost was quit. (laughs) Don't quit. One of the things I had to do was get chemo on my brain, and they do that through spinal taps, and you have to do like 16 of them. And the first I didn't know that there was like a little lilt in my lumbar and it made them last like two hours a piece. It was torturous. And so I couldn't move because I was worried about all the side effects that happened and, and it was this horrible, torturous time. So the first one happened and I was like, it's a fluke. And then the next one happened. And the next one happened. And I was so afraid of that next one that I thought, I can't face it again. I said, God, I don't know if I can have one more. And Dr. McElmore said, if you quit, if you quit, this is what happens, your body has this amazing thing called the brain blood block, and there's a chemical that your brain secretes, and it's so strong that it keeps chemo that's literally going through your bloodstream from penetrating your brain. Isn't that amazing? And he said what happens is that one little leukemia cell, it hides in your spinal fluid, in your brain, and that's how it comes back. He said if we don't do these treatments, that's how it comes back. Chemo, no chemo. Strong, weak. Brave, fearful. I couldn't heal my body. I couldn't, like, snap my fingers and wish it. Only God can heal our bodies. My job was to show up and stay there. My job was to not quit. So I would sit through those spinals, and I would read that verse. And I would make my husband read it out loud. Robert, read it out loud. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. And he would say it over and over and over and over again. And then we found this one PA named Marion. God bless her. She's an angel from heaven. She could get it immediately. And that those days were done. But that verse became my mantra. And when you were... Sometimes you'll face times in life with all the things we've done to be good Christians, like go to church and read our Bibles and do Bible studies and sing praise music and all those things. I didn't have the ability to do any of them. I didn't have an immune system. I couldn't go to church. One of the side effects with my chemo was a a tremor. I couldn't write. I've read every night since third grade to go to bed. I couldn't focus to read all the things I'd done to be a good Christian. I couldn't do them. All I could do was pray these really simple prayers, like be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. After six months, Dr. McLemore came in with awesome news and he told me that I was cancer-free, that leukemia was gone. And my body slowly began to rebuild. And there's this amazing thing happens, and it only happens for a few of us, where you don't know what the next day, if the next day's coming, and when the next day comes, you go, I get to rewrite my whole life. What does life part two look like? And I got to design it. Just like all of us get to design our lives, but it's different when you don't know if that next day is coming. And I got to design my life. And Robert and I got married. If someone will stick with you through cancer, it's a really, really good sign, right? We got married. And time passed, and then in 2018, I got really, really tired. So tired that it didn't make sense, and I was nauseous again. And I was really scared because those are leukemia symptoms. And Dr. McLemore had promised me when I was five years cancer-free, he said that's cured. And my chance of having leukemia, was again, was 0%, the same as anybody else. And I got scared because he promised me that I was cured. And I was really, really tired. And it was the end of the school year, and it didn't make sense. And I told Robert, the symptoms are back. I don't know... I don't know if I have enough nerve to call Dr. McLemore. And Robert looked at me, he goes, before we do that, let's do a test. And I thought, there's no way this could be a baby because it's tremendously, tremendously, tremendously impossible for that to happen. Dr. McLemore had never had a patient have a baby in 20-something years. It's tremendously, tremendously, tremendously impossible. And guess what? Did you know that leukemia... Symptoms and pregnancy symptoms look exactly the same. You didn't, I didn't know that it wasn't cancer. God, who does tremendously, tremendously, tremendously amazing things, knew that there was a little boy coming named August Macklemore, St. John, right? And since Dr. Macklemore saved our life, we, we had to put his name in there. So, little Mac came on New Year's Day of 2018. And I wish I could say that that was easy. It wasn't easy at all. I was there for three days. Mac wanted to just hang out for a long time. And they promised me that I wouldn't have to have an epidural because I said I have seen a therapist for post-traumatic stress from spinal taps. I can't have an epidural. And my doctor assured me that there really was nothing different about me than anyone else. I was the test case for ALL and babies. And nothing, it just keeps you from being able to to get pregnant. It has nothing to do with the baby's health or delivery or any of those sorts of things. The only thing I needed to worry about really was, and she wouldn't say, and I said, because I'm old. And she was like, well, yes, that's really the only thing that you have to worry about. So, it had been days. And my doctor looked at me, and she couldn't say it. But my best friend was in the room. The one that sat with me, she's a nurse, and she sat through the first bone marrow biopsy. She said, Caroline, we've got to talk about anesthesia. And Melanie had already told me that we're not going to say epidural, we're not going to say spinal tap, because those are trigger words for my trauma. We'll call it anesthesia. And my number one biggest fear in life was sitting in the room with me. I was going to have to have another epidural. I thought 16 was enough. But for Matt to come safely, I had to face my biggest fear. So I didn't know. Melanie told me the doctors and the nurses were in the hallway and they were sobbing. Everyone came in the room and I didn't see that. And she said, It's time to talk about anesthesia. And I said, Be strong and courageous. Not tremble or be afraid, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Whether it's the oncology floor at Emory Hospital, whether it's mother baby at St. Mary's in Athens, God goes with you. He asks two things of you strength and courage. Because without strength and courage, you quit. He was asking me not to quit. Guess what happened? It was fine. And in that moment, I was able to kiss goodbye to the number one fear I had in my entire life. It was fine. And at 7.42 on New Year's Day, I was able to hold a miracle named Mac. The next day, a nurse came in the room. She was young, like 22. She had this really cool headband. I don't remember her name. I remember the headband. And she had Mac with her, and she came in, and she said to me, this is your little boy? And I said, yes. And she said, there's something really special about him. And I was like, you don't know the half of it. And she says, God wants me to speak a blessing over him. Are you okay if I speak a blessing over him? And I said, of course. So my husband came over, he held my hand. I held Mac, she put her hand on Mac's head, and she said this. And you know when those people pray and they're not closing their eyes and praying and talking to God, but they're talking, like they're having a conversation with God, like God is right there, right there with you. That's how this girl prayed. And she said, God, you want me to speak two words over this little boy. And those two words are, are you ready? Strength and courage. And I began to sob. And she said, little boy, you're going to need strength and courage for your life because God has something really beautiful in store. And I don't know what it is, but I know one thing he wanted me to tell you. There are two blessings coming for you. And those blessings are strength and courage. And when that little girl with the pretty headband left the room, I looked at my husband and he just started laughing. Because what could you say? I told that girl, you hear the voice of God. Don't ever stop listening. She heard God. And then I told her our story. And in that moment, I realized that Joshua one nine, I thought that that verse was really only for two people in the whole history of the universe. I thought it was for Joshua, and I thought it was for me. You know what I found out? <laughs> it's for Joshua, it's for me, and it's for Mac. And it's for you. And it's for you, and it's for you. And it's for you. Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be afraid for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. He writes the ending. He asks one thing of you and that's to step forth. Would you close your eyes and pray with me? Now I'm a teacher and this is a prayer where you have to do what I say because people have to do what teachers say. So if everybody would take their hands, put them in front of you with your palms facing down. Now this is a symbol. Your hands are a physical representation of your heart. Our palms are open because if we were holding something in them, like a ping pong ball or a golf ball, if we open our hands, it would fall out. God, right now our hands are symbols of our hearts and we are releasing anything that we're choosing to hold on to that keeps us from receiving the blessings you're trying to give us right this very second. We'll take a moment and listen to your voice. We want to hear the things that you want us to let go of. And now we turn our hands over. Now sit with your palms facing, pa- facing towards the ceiling. Our hands are symbols of our hearts now. And our hands right now, God, if you wanted to, to pour out a blessing from heaven, our hands could catch them because they're empty and they're open and they're facing skyward. God, we listen to you right now. What is it? What blessing is it that you want to give us right now? Is it healing? Is it peace? Is it strength and courage? Lord, our our hearts, our minds, our bodies, our, our families, and our church is open to you to receive the blessing that you want to pour out.